Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller, and I'm thrilled that you're here with us for another episode. This week, I've got an amazing interview with Dr. Courtney Dunn. You're going to learn a lot from this interview. Dr. Dunn and I had a great conversation about starting a practice and marketing uh, a practice. We also talked a little bit about the women in orthodontics group that Dr. Dunn created and some of the issues that uniquely affect female members of our profession. And we also spoke briefly about the AAO's Council on Communication and some of the updates uh, coming out of that group and how that's going to affect orthodontists in the United States. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to take a minute to talk about doing a quarterly financial review. This is something I talked about in an earlier episode, and it's on our website as well, on the Elevate Ortho Podcast website under quarterly review, if you look under our blog. And I just wanted to review a little bit what we do every quarter because I think this is something useful that helps me stay on track and helps me address all of the varying issues uh, affecting my financial life on a regular basis. So part of this, I do the same thing every quarter, and that's to review first my income and spending. I track that with mint.com, but you could use any of these other programs. You need a budget, Quicken, Excel, there's a number of these. And I just like to review what has gone on in the last quarter, uh, whether my spending is in alignment with my goals, whether I'm happy with what I've spent, if I need to adjust it or decrease it. Uh, I don't have a strict, strict budget, but it's just a way to review and make sure that we're kind of on track. For the second quarter of the year, uh, we did pretty good on spending. We always seem to spend a lot on travel. And the other big expense is that I purchased a piano, an upright piano for our home. And that was a big expense that kind of blew up our budget a little bit for the second quarter, but it's been awesome uh, having it in our house. So review your spending, review your income, see what you took back from your practice, or if you're a W-2 employee or 1099, understand what your income is and look at the difference between those. Are you spending more than you're earning? Are you earning more than you're spending? Uh, Try to get that uh, lined up. The second thing you want to look at is what you have uh, in savings. Uh, What are your investments? How are they performing? Uh, I talked earlier about how I like to take that number of my total investments and divide it by 300, uh, which is basically a a 4% withdrawal rate uh, if you go and look at uh, safe withdrawal rates for retirement. And that gives me a sense of how much of my lifestyle my retirement savings can support. And I chart all of these numbers on a graph, income, spending, and projected retirement income. And I like to see how those lines intersect. What I'm hoping is that that passive income, retirement income number is creeping up on the chart uh, over time. So I do that same thing every quarter, but then also there's different things that I review on a quarterly basis so that I don't have to look at all of these things uh, every month or every quarter. So in the first part of the year in January, I always like to review my yearly goals and our budgets and what our spending is going to be and our home projects. 
in April, after, you know, after the end of the first quarter, I like to review the taxes, our charitable contributions, and how my practice and personal financial uh, interactions go together. And in July, this is something that I would encourage you to do at the end of the second quarter, I look at my investments, my retirement savings, and my college savings. And basically, what I mean by that is I like to look and see what are the balances, how is it invested, am I happy with, with uh, the investment options that we've chosen I don't have an investment advisor per se. If you have someone, that's a good time to check in with them, perhaps for an annual review. But I like to look and say, okay, these are my allocations between domestic stocks and foreign stocks and bonds and real estate investment trusts and all the investment options. Am I still happy with that? Are we on track with that? Do I need to contribute more to a certain type that's underperformed so that our allocation can kind of stay on track? And then I do the same thing with our college savings. So right now I'm saving for our kids' college in 529 accounts. I know there's some other options out there, but we're using 529 accounts. So I look and I say, about how much do I want to have saved for them and how have those performed? And am I still happy with my uh, monthly contributions that we're making to those 529 accounts? So for instance, what I found this time is that the stock market has performed a little bit above and beyond what our expectations were. So I was able to reduce slightly what we're putting in every month and still stay on track for our goals. So that's a good thing to review. Uh, At the end of the second quarter, I like to review my investments, my retirement accounts, and my college savings. In October, we'll talk a little bit about insurances, wills, trusts, uh, emergency preparedness, those sorts of things. Uh, But that's a good place to get you started for doing a second quarter quarterly review. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get on to the interview. Dr. Courtney Dunn is a practicing orthodontist, wife, mother of three, and the founder of the Women in Orthodontics Study Club. Dr. Dunn was the recipient of the Milo Hellman Award, has served as the president of the Arizona State Orthodontic Association, and has been interviewed by such diverse media sources as National Public Radio and Fox News Channel. Courtney attended Loyola Marymount University and the University of Michigan for dental school and then her orthodontic training. Uh, After she and her husband, Matt, who is also an orthodontist, finished residency, she decided to move back home and open from scratch, even though the orthodontic market in Phoenix was completely saturated and every orthodontist and dentist told her she should go someplace else. The wisdom of what was already a questionable decision became even murkier a year later when the Great Recession decimated the real estate and job markets in Phoenix, forcing many dental and orthodontic practices in the Phoenix area out of business. By becoming serious students of business and marketing, Courtney and Matt were fortunate to survive those tumultuous early years in practice. Eventually, through following proven business and innovative marketing strategies, they were able to build a highly successful multi-location orthodontic practice in a notoriously difficult orthodontic market. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast, Dr. Dunn. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited that you're here. I um, saw in the news that you guys set like a record temperature this week in Phoenix. We did. And of course, my middle child is swimming in the Junior Olympics Championships, which is outside. And so I was actually outside yesterday in the record heat from 7.30 to 2. Holy <laughs> so, cow. So what was, yeah. the, what, was the, what was the record temperature? Uh, 117. 117. So yeah. I think for our international listeners, that's something like 47 degrees Celsius or something. That, that is some serious heat. It is. I actually grew up in Phoenix, though, so our record is 122. Um, but 117 is really bad when you have a swim meet. <laughs> you 
That's for, and they don't let you get in the pool either, right? You've got to no, just... <laughs> no, they don't let the parents. You know, the kids are doing okay. They get to jump in and out of the pool. We're just like sweating like pigs out there. It's pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty intense. So let's start a little bit by talking about you and and your practices. Uh, we heard in the intro that you started up in a challenging environment in in Phoenix, and uh, it seems to me that ultimately the biggest challenge probably was getting the phone to ring. I mean, if you can't market your services. Then things like clinical efficiency or managing your staff kind of are a moot point, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what, what, did, what did you guys do to kind of get things off the ground? Well, it was funny because going to the University of Michigan, um, it's a very traditional program. It's a great program. I loved it. But, you know, you're sort of taught by the faculty that practice around you. And so we were just sort of taught, like, hang a shingle, do a good job, treat people well, and people will come. And uh, the Southwest is a much different market. You can hang a shingle, but uh, you have to do much, much more than that to get your name out there. So for, you know, the first couple of weeks, we're like, where, where is everybody? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so we just started doing traditional orthodontic marketing, putting our name in the local newspaper, you know, going to the general dentists, and we just weren't getting much from that and not understanding why every general dentist just didn't want to start referring to us immediately and stop referring to the other guy. And so that's when we really started hunkering down and learning about um, online marketing, you know, way before, you know, the, we still had people trying to sell us phone book ads when we first opened because it was 2006, you know, the internet was, was there, but it wasn't the go-to reference for everything. And so we tried to hire somebody to build us a website, but it was just so expensive and we had no money whatsoever. And so my husband talked to my brother and my brother's like, oh, just get this program. And so he got this program. I can't remember what it's called. Maybe Dreamweaver or something. And a, like Internet for Dummies book and built our <laughs> website on his own and really started investigating SEO and doing all of all of our SEO on his own, on his own time. And we really started to get a lot of patients that way. And then we started going back to the general dentist. Oh, well, we have five patients in common now. You know, you might want sure. to talk to us. Um, but the the world of online marketing has, has really helped us a ton. And it, and it has before it started to get super popular. Yeah. Um, do you think there are things that I mean, when I think about starting an orthodontic practice, which I did not do, I, I purchased an existing mm -hmm. orthodontic practice, but it seems like there's so much momentum that you have to build. You know, there's this, all this inertia to overcome. I mean, is that the case? Is, is it sometimes it just takes time to get things going or are there things people can do to kind of jumpstart that process? I wish I could say there was a great way to jumpstart that process. I mean, I think it's, you know, in some, in, in Phoenix today was much harder than it was even Phoenix 10 years ago. Because at least when we very first opened, things were going well. You know, we had about a year before the crash. So, you know, you just have to kind of know that it's going to take a little time. And I had actually worked in a DSO for a couple of years prior to us opening the practice while Matt finished his residency. And we just saved every dollar that we possibly could. We still lived like students, even though I was getting paid a really good salary, just knowing we were going to be drawing on that savings as we were building the practice. And it was, it was really helpful to have, you know, a good bank account before we got started. So we weren't so desperate and weren't having to 
pull our focus away by getting a side job or something like that. We could constantly focus on the practice and marketing the practice and stuff. So I think that that was really helpful. So that's interesting. So you, you kind of saved up a little bit of a war chest. And then when you started your practice, you weren't really spending a lot of time in side jobs. It was, it was a hundred percent focused kind of on your practice. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent focused on the practice. So yeah, my, my husband's very fiscally conservative. Thank goodness. So, you know, when I got that first paycheck and it was like, Oh my gosh, I've never seen so much money. (laughs) And he was basically like, we are living on coupons. (laughs) It's just the the way it's going to be. So we were able to put 20% down and bought like a really like small house and just kept our expenses really low when we were, when we were living as students, but also when we very first opened up. Sure. You know, I, it's, your story is one of kind of opening in this competitive marketplace, but I also read on your blog, you know, maybe a year ago, you wrote a post advising new grads, maybe to reconsider these highly competitive areas and I think your post was that that advice is usually poorly received, but what what advice, what what advice would you have? Uh, How should young doctors evaluate their future practice opportunities? Well, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, Matt and I kind of sit back and go, okay, you know, it's been 11 years and it's worked out really well for us, but we just talk to some of our friends that are in less competitive markets and they just work, they work hard, but we have to work so much harder for every dollar we make. Where, you know, a few years back, we went to an AO and talked to friends and we were like, oh, we're working really hard on getting reviews and we have like this service and this service to help us with our SEO and this, that and the other thing. And he just looked at us like we were crazy. Like, I have one review. I don't do SEO and I'm totally fine. And we were like, God, like we are working really hard because of where we chose. And we're like, oh, we were kind of crazy. And so I just kind of explain that to people and it is very poorly received um, because it's not me trying to be protective of my area or whatever. You know, the, the last person who asked me who I said, look, like I see myself in you because he wanted to come back here. He's like, I grew up in the area, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I see myself in you. And like, if it was me 10 years ago, like I might have chosen a different area, not because I don't love where I live, but because it would give me so much more time with my family and I wouldn't have to be stressing out about like constantly changing my practice and constantly being an innovator. And I could just have more quality time. And he took it totally the wrong way and opened up a mile down the street for me and was telling everybody that I told him not to move here because I didn't want him to be a competitor. And I was like, Oh my gosh, forget it. Like, you know, I was just trying to be honest and trying to be nice. Like I wasn't trying to be protective, but you know, it came out that way. And I feel bad that it came out that way. And I mean, it is what it is. So, you know, you just have to kind of think about your life and your values. You know, if you're going to, if you absolutely feel like you have to live in that area, you're either going to make less money and that may be okay. Like that's totally fine. Or if you want to make more money, you are going to have to work harder than you think you are. And you know, when you graduate from residency, the easy part is over. You know, it's just how much do you want to be working? How much do you want to be spending on your practice? Like I am working on my practice every single day. And my husband works on our practice probably 12 hours a day, every single day. Like, do you want that? Um, I'm curious as your practice has kind of grown and, and, you know, at the beginning, you know, we're just trying to get the phone to ring and, and now 
you know, you, the phone maybe is, is ringing off the hook and, and you have a, a busy practice. What, what are the kind of issues that you deal with now in, in a busy practice and, and what are the things that kind of consume your time today? You know, we're always trying to grow still. Like, you know, you have a patient for two years and they're gone. And trying to explain that to staff is difficult sometimes. Like we actually just established like some core values to try to kind of explain that to staff constantly. Like, cause they're like, we have enough, it's fine. And it's like, no, it's not fine because like these people are only here for two years and then they're gone. And like, we constantly need to have our names out there and we, we need to keep going and we need to keep changing and trying new things. And, but I mean, you know, staff issues are always going to be a problem when you get bigger. It's, we have a core group of people that we absolutely love. Actually today is Amber's 10 year anniversary with us. So we're like, you know, so grateful for the people that we have our very first employee we still have with us, um, which is just awesome. But we, you know, in the clinical assistant area, like our lead assistants have been around with us forever. They're totally loyal. They're totally flexible and open to change and open to traveling and all of that kind of stuff that you have to do with a multi-location practice, but just sort of the clinical assistants, you know, we, we, definitely have turnover, you know, they hang out for, for a few years and then sort of move on, you know, to, yeah. I mean, we have one that's going to beauty school. She's like, and I'll, she's like, I'll fill in when I can, but I've just found that this is my passion. I'm like, that's great. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's hard to keep a good schedule rolling. Cause I'm, I'm very, very concerned about staying on time all the time and, you know, spending good time with patients and all that stuff. And it's, it's hard when you've got, you know, clinical people turning over. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the Women in Orthodontics uh, Study Club. What was explain this, I guess, to our listeners wh- what it is and and what inspired you to start the group. Um, it was actually a colleague of mine who said something to me about there's this kind of missing piece with all these Facebook groups popping up. I was sort of late to the Facebook group sort of era. My husband had been on some of these, and I'm like, I don't have time for it. I've got to you know deal with the kids and all that stuff and he finally pulled me into one or in a geographically exclusive one. And, and a colleague said, you know, you really would do great if you would open an or, women in ortho forum. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? And they're like, well, that's on you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I, I started it and it just exploded. It really was just sort of a missing piece in the market because women have different needs than men and we approach things differently and right or wrong. Sometimes women are intimidated to post something on some of the other forums because like they feel they're going to be talked down to. And so it's just become this incredibly supportive group of women who feel that they can ask anything where, you know, some of these other groups are very like, Oh, this is the clinical, this is the business or whatever. Like people throw clinical cases up. They ask business questions. They ask questions about, raising kids and nannies and private schools and what do you wear to work and how do you deal with a female employee as a female doctor, which is definitely different um, than being a man. And then some of the questions are very similar to the other, the forums, they just happen to, to post them on ours. So it's, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. We have almost 1200 members and it's just, it's just a great group. Awesome. Do you have any sense of what, percentage of the United States orthodontists are female? I don't actually. Um, I know it's growing tremendously though. I know that there are residency programs that are graduating a hundred percent female residents. 
Yeah. And so it's, it's a huge market. I think it's really kind of flipping more towards females. My sense is that it's got to be between 30 and 50%. I, you know, I don't think it's, we've got it. We've got to be getting close to 50. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I feel like, you know, I think I, I tried to do some research on this actually in, in anticipation of this interview. I think dentists as a whole, uh, women are 20% of the whole dental profession in the United States. Okay. But then when you, but then when you look at like pediatric dentists or pediatricians, it's almost 75%. So it is oh, wow. interesting how it kind of breaks down by specialty. Yeah. Yeah. That is really interesting. I mean, I think dentistry in general, like appealed to me because I felt that I could have the flexibility to raise a family and work. And I think ortho even gives you more of that flexibility. So maybe. Yeah. In your opinion, do you think that increasing numbers of female doctors change or, or alter the kind of the, the profession as a whole and the way that we kind of interact uh, with each other or, or any of the workforce issues? What, what, are you, what is your sense there? Um, I think we still have a long way to go. Um, I think a lot of women are so busy dealing with running their practice and dealing with the stuff at home and right or wrong, women feel the burden of having to do most of the stuff at home, even when their husbands are amazing and helpful, they still walk around with that guilt of trying to have it all. And being the mother that they should be and the room mom and the practice. And so they might not be as vocal in the overall profession because they're just so busy. And so I think that it'll take more time for the profession to change and hear more from female voices because we're sort of just overwhelmed with everything. So for yourself, uh, you know, you, you bring up these issues. What, what are the guidelines that you've created in your life or the systems you use to kind of keep all these balls in the air and to keep your work-life balance somewhat centered? Um, I think the most important thing was first admitting that you can have it all, but you can't do it alone. And I think that that was a problem for me. Like I'm 41 and I grew up, you know, in the eighties and the nineties when women were still trying to get their equal footing in the workplace. And so we had like, you know, movies like Working Girl with Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver with their big shoulder pads, like dominating the industry or whatever. And they really weren't talking about the sacrifices that they were making and how hard it is. And so now I think we've become much more evolved in just saying, you know what? You need help. And it's not a weakness to ask for help. And so I have a nanny that drives my kids around to all of their activities because they're competitive swimmers and they're super busy. And I, I have a ton of people helping me and it's okay. And it's okay if I'm not at every swim practice and I'm not cooking every single dinner, I'm still there for my kids, you know, for the important stuff. And so it's just saying, you know what, I'm not superwoman. I need help. And just trying to plan out, you know, those aspects that are important and where you need, where you need additional help. Yeah. You know, my, my wife, tries to balance these things and she, she's not an orthodontist. She's, she uh, works in our practice some, but you know, she finds it interesting that every, um, you know, every woman seems to have a different idea of what they want their life to be. And then, but then I was constantly asking themselves what, if this is the right thing. So she's, her, she's got this cartoon on our fridge and it, it's these four women sitting around. And I think one of them, you know, decided to drop out of work and, and be full time at home. And one of them's 
uh, gone back to work and, and, and the people say, oh, she's abandoning her kids and one's mm-hmm. part time and they say she's not committed. You know, I think, I, I guess, I guess males and men in the profession have to ask themselves similar questions, but it does seem like there are more of these competing interests that kind of pull, pull women in different directions. Really? And we all feel guilty. Every single one of us feels guilty no matter what decision that we've made. And luckily in my group, everybody's very, very supportive. But, you know, you go out to like general online mommy blogs and women are attacking each other for the decisions that they make. And, you know, some of it's probably based on the insecurities about their own decisions, but it is very difficult. I mean, my sister-in-law one time didn't, I don't think she meant it, but she said something to the effect of, well, I'm going to stay at home because I don't want somebody else raising my kids. And I just looked at her like, I just can't even believe you just said that to me. Like, just because I have somebody helping me run the kids around doesn't mean that I'm not raising my own children. And it's, you know, part of the mommy wars. And so, you know, stay at home moms feel guilty because they feel like they should be, you know, contributing more to the household, you know, finances, or they want to be out having more adult conversations. And then moms who are working feel like they need to be home. And, you know, everybody always says, oh, we should all just get along. And, you know, there are a group that that do and that are great. But, you know, it it is hard because there's a lot of judgment out there. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit about female doctors leading female staff. And, and that's something yeah. I've heard from my colleagues before. Do you think that that issue kind of arises from the mindset of the doctor or from the staff or both? It's probably both, but a lot of it is a leadership issue. The biggest problem is, is when you, you have all of these staff members, like you start to become friends with them. And that is like a huge problem because then they start approaching you as a friend and then they start getting offended, you know, as a friend. And so you really kind of have to, to draw lines between you and your staff. And it's very hard as a young female to do so. I mean, for me, I had stuff that was older than me and it was just very hard to tell some woman who has so much more life experience, like, you know, I have to cut your salary, you know, or, you know, you can't keep showing up late. Like this is wrong. And so I think now I'm getting old, so it probably doesn't matter as much, but, um, you know, it's just very hard because women tend to be very friendly with their staff. And with that friendliness, there can become issues when you need to be assertive. You know, it's definitely a balancing act. Do you sense that there are any stereotypes that uh, female orthodontists are, I guess, maybe trying to live up to that are coming from their colleagues in the profession? That is there a place for a woman doctor to be kind of this hard charging, assertive, uh, entrepreneurial thing, or is is there pushback from that from from other orthodontists or other dentists? How how does that balance work in your opinion? I know some amazing women that are super assertive and entrepreneurial and like have amazing practices. I mean, I can think of two just on top of my head, and they're confident. And I think that the other women that know them respect them and think they're great and don't judge them for for wanting that type of practice. I think there are other women out there that want a smaller practice because they do have all that home life stuff that's pulling at them a little bit and others that maybe just want a a smaller practice. Every once in a while, we'll come into some, some sexism when it comes to referring dentists who are male, who may not 
see us as equals or respect us or kind of talk down to us. And I mean, what are you going to do? Not everybody's going to like you. You know, even as a male, you're going to have referring or potential refers that maybe just don't like you that much. And so I did have one person say to me that I should be home. But, you know, overall, (laughs) oh, yeah, that's crazy. He was really old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I know that you've spent some time with your group, uh, also kind of mentoring, coaching. You guys held held a meeting. What's driven your your desire to do that? Or or what are the ways that you feel like you've been able to, to educate other doctors? Well, it's funny because we're in such a competitive market and because we've tried literally everything, you know, I just feel like like our practice is kind of normal. Like this is just the way it is. And then I start talking to people and I'll just say, well, what about this? And what about this? And they're like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Or, oh my gosh, you know, that's amazing. I can't believe you did that. Or, and I was just like, you know, I think that maybe I can help people, especially younger women who are out there with their practices, just kind of help them, help them get going. And so I started a mastermind group um, that's geographically exclusive and it's super tiny. It's totally different than any of the other geo groups because we meet online uh, once a month. So we meet via Zoom. So we're all looking at each other. And I usually pick a topic and talk about it for about a half an hour. And then two of the women get to be in the hot seat and they get to present issues that they're having in their practice. And then we all chime in to try to help them solve their problems. And, you know, they learn a lot from their hot seat, but then everybody else learns a lot from their hot seat too. And it's just been such a great group and so much fun. And there's just been a lot of creativity that's come out of it. And I even had one of the the offices come and visit my office. And I mean, they went back and they were like, we started like four people the same day. Like we did this, we did this, we did this, my TC's on fire. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, because like, my TC was like, I just feel like we're, we're just normal. Like, this is just what we do. And I'm like, but it doesn't, it feel good to help somebody else. And she's like, it was great. And so the staff's empowered to help everybody. And I've always kind of wanted to do some speaking and stuff too. So we had our little meeting and I kind of gave a talk on the 10 essentials of business success, which was sort of a philosophical discussion on business and everybody talked and networked and it was just it was just a blast Uh, i know that you've also recently become a member of the american association of orthodontist council on communication and in the past i know the consumer awareness program uh in particular has been the target of many orthodontists frustrations i guess uh can can you give our listeners kind of an update on what's happening with the council and kind of what we should be looking forward to Sure, absolutely. I think the first thing that I should say is I was probably one of the biggest voices against the consumer awareness program, even when it started 10 years ago. I didn't like it. I didn't like what the advertising company was doing. I wrote a blog about it. Ben Burris actually shared that blog. So it kind of like took off. And so when I saw that the PCSO had an opening for the COC, I just thought, this is it. Like, this is what I'm passionate about. Like, I want to change things for the better. So I ran on the platform of, I hate the consumer awareness program. I don't like what's happening. And my husband listened to some of my interviews and was like, oh my God, 
you are never going to get this position. But I was just really, really honest with them. And I guess the, the PCO so decided they wanted some change too. So they sent me over and we just had our first move, uh, meeting in St. Louis. And I love the fact that we're not working with the old advertising company anymore and we're moving to an all digital platform. We are going to have three components of the digital platform. We're going to work social media, search engines, and the consumer websites getting totally redone. If you go on it now, it's getting better. It's not quite there yet, but it's getting better. We're reworking the whole campaign. We're working on creative now. One of the biggest things that I can say is if you have ideas for ads, blog posts, listicles, you know, anything that you think would be clever, cute videos, like let us know because we can do it now. Like we have it all in house, which is awesome. But just in the past few months with just the few tweaks that we've done, we've had a 367% increase in visits to the consumer website. We've had an eight. Yeah. We've had an 800% increase in the number of Facebook likes and we've appeared in over 1.3 million search results relative to various orthodontic treatments since May. And so even if people are complaining about, well, I'm not seeing it, I'm not seeing it, like it's way better than it was. And it has a long way to go, but it's happening. And so right now, all the campaigns are driving the traffic to the consumer site and to the find a doc locator. They're kind of revamping the find a doc locator. It's going to look more like the Invisalign doc locator but it's not there yet. I even double checked today to make sure like, cause I saw kind of like a mock-up of what it was going to look like. And I really liked it, but it's not, it's not live yet. You know, it takes time to get these things going. So, I mean, I think we're, we're headed in the right direction and like going all digital saves us a lot of money too, which is nice. Um, but yeah, we, we still have a long way to go. Right. So you mentioned some of the things that orthodontists can do, send in ideas, these sorts of things. I mean, are there other things that uh, members can be doing to support the council's efforts? Um, you know, obviously just complaining is, is, is not going to be enough going forward, right? Complaining isn't enough going forward. I think that that's the biggest thing. Like, and there's, and people also have to realize that every time you see an Invisalign ad pop up or an SDC ad pop up, like you're not going to see an AAO ad pop up. And the reason is, is like their marketing budget is like 20 to 30 times what our marketing budget is. And so even if we're directing ads towards those search results, like you're not going to see it every single time. Like we just don't have the money for that. And so we're trying to get the best bang for our buck and we're already seeing more bang for our buck. Um, and our messaging is going to get much more aggressive. Um, but we just, it just takes time to get that all developed. Like I, I came up with a great idea for video and I sent it to Katie Masson, who's our digital person over at the AAO. She's working on the cap. So if you have questions like call Katie, she'll be happy to talk to you about what's happening over there. If you have ideas, call Katie and tell her. Cause I just, I laid out this whole video and she was like, I love it. Like we're going to do a mock-up and let's see if we can shoot it. Like as simple as that. Cause it's all in house. That's awesome. That's, that's really yeah. cool. What, what do you think the role of the AAO is versus the role of a local orthodontist in, I guess, in promoting orthodontics, orthodontists, and, yes. and ensuring the success of kind of, you know, an individual practice? Well, I think that the individual practice has a lot more power than the AAO. The AAO may have a lot of money, but we also have a gigantic organization 
that we have to go through that can sometimes like hinder our progress. And we also have lawyers that can hinder our progress. Like during our COC meeting, like the lawyer sat through every single one of our meetings. And so as an individual practice, you have more leeway in what you can say and do than the AAO does just in general. Even if I was screaming and yelling at them, like saying, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. Like you've got to go through several steps and make sure legal is happy with it and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I think sharing the AAO posts and things like that, when they all start to come out is helpful, but, you know, doing your own blogs and sharing your own videos and that kind of stuff will, will help for sure. It's, it's a tough thing. You know, I always feel like we have to, you know, work together certainly, but that at the end of the day, you know, the success and failure of an individual practice, I think it's hard to, for members to try to put that back on the you know, organization as a whole, or somehow that, I don't know, that our, our success or failure is, is, is in the hands of, of some organization thousands of miles away from us. So I think there's a balance there between working together and, um, you know, not letting our destiny be controlled by outside people or influences. Correct. Absolutely. And like, you know, a recent post of, well, I just saw the smile direct ad. What's the AAO doing about it? I'm like, well, the AAO can't respond to every smile direct ad that's out there, you know, or I saw this Invisalign ad, like, I can't believe the AAO is not doing something. And I'm like, we're, we're trying, but we, you know, we can't respond to, to every single company and every single ad. And every time I put a call to action out there saying, you know, come and help us, I've just, you know, got a lot of, a lot of people not really wanting to do that, just wanting to complain about things over and over again. And so I was just like, okay, that's fine. Like, but I still really would love to hear your ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to move into this Elevate Express 8. We're going to give eight quick questions and uh, get some quick replies, if that's good with you. Okay. Okay. All right, Courtney, what's your uh, go-to treatment for full-step class twos? Well, I just started uh, trying out light elastics on early wires, and then I've always uh, loved the forces. What's your standard retention protocol? Uh, upper Essex, lower fixed. Good. Who are your role models? My biggest role model is my great-grandmother, Pat, who was a woman ahead of her time. She lived well into her hundreds and was a single mom of three and a working mom. She was a principal of an elementary school out here and she was just blazing the path for us women. Awesome. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? I really love our scanner, but I would say in general, like I'm not totally in love with products. Like you can give me any bracket, any wire. I love to straighten teeth and I think we get caught up too much on all of the toys. (laughs) what's the best vacation you've ever taken? I'm hoping the best vacation I've ever taken is the one I'm about to take, (laughs) (laughs) which we're doing a Disney cruise in Europe. So, Oh, wow. Fingers crossed. We've, we've done three other Disney cruises and they've all been fabulous. Cool. What's uh, one great book that you've read recently? I'm behind the times a little bit. I just finished the big short and because of all the housing market stuff out here, it's been it was so interesting to me. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I love that one. What bracket system are you currently using? We are using 3M Unitech 022MBT. Okay. Twin. Yep. And what's one area of orthodontics you want to learn more about in 2017? 
more complex Invisalign cases for sure. So extractions and all kinds of like more fun stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Courtney, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If people want to reach out and get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, you can either send me a message on Facebook or you can send me an email, Courtney, C O U R T N E Y, at womeninorthodontics.com. Awesome. And that's the website as well. People can check out for the Women in Orthodontics group. Yes. 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 And please join the study group. And if you have interest in the mastermind or whatever, I'm not taking any new mastermind people right now, but you can shoot me an email. And when I am, I, I will respond. Well, thanks again, Courtney. This is, this is just great information. I appreciate you taking your time. Oh, thank you so much. This has been awesome. All right. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I wanted to ask you a quick favor before we sign off here, and that's to let any friends uh, that you have who are orthodontists or who might be interested in the podcast know about it. Uh, you can send them to our website, elevateorthopodcast.com. You can tell them to look us up on iTunes. If you're listening on the podcasts app on your iPhone or Apple device, you can even click on one of the interviews or one of the episodes that you thought was really great. And on those three little bars off to the side, you can click there and you can send the episode directly to your friend in a, in a link. That would be fantastic. If you're so inclined, you go on to iTunes and you could leave us a review so that people who are stumbling across the podcast realize that this is something worth their time and worth listening to. That would mean a lot to me. It's always exciting to me to see the podcast audience grow. And for the work that we're putting into this, I'd like it to reach as many people as possible. So thanks again. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.